the month and year was October 2007 when I boarded a plane and headed to Cebu, which is an island in the Philippines. A couple of my friends got together after graduating from high school, and we challenged each other to go on a discipleship training school with Youth with a Mission. And my parents were willing to send me to the Philippines uh, for five months to grow in my walk with God and to learn about the Filipino culture since I am half Filipino and talk about stepping out of my comfort zone. I was only 17 years old and going to be separated from my parents for five months in another country and different side of the world. And when the plane landed in Cebu, the intense humidity hit me and I began to sweat profusely. And traveling to the base, I observed all of the crazy traffic that pedestrians didn't have the right of way and the roads quickly transitioned from pavement into dirt roads with no lane divisions and vast amounts of dust and debris flew into the air as the vehicle proceeded to bounce up and down the road. I was amazed that the tires didn't pop. And finally, we arrived at the YWAM base located in Carmen Village in Talisai City. It was typhoon season, raining nonstop, and all the roads were completely flooded. And as thunder and lightning started to roar and flash, I wondered why I decided to go on this mission trip. I already missed the comfort of my home in California, and the base staff gave me a tour of the living quarters and led me to my room, which was enclosed with bamboo walls and no insulation. I realized that the showers only had cold water and the toilets didn't flush. Meanwhile, cockroaches would scale the walls and the floors as I used the bathroom and shower facilities. And I was told that I had to learn how to wash my, hand, my clothes by hand because there were no washers or dryers on site and I had to hang my clothes on a clothesline to dry. The food was great, but I had to get used to eating rice uh, three times a day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And to top it all off, all of the students were from the Philippines, from different islands. I was the only American and the only one that spoke English as a first language. I was told by an opinionated staff member that Filipinos preserve, uh, uh, perceive most Americans to be prideful and they assumed that Americans wanted to visit the Philippines to find women to marry and bring them back to the States. I had to decide early on, am I going to put on the Filipino culture and put off my American ways? I could have remained the same 17-year-old, spoiled, selfish, and entitled young 17-year-old, but God led me to humble myself and put on the Filipino way of living in Cebu. And as I started hand-washing my clothes and uh, taking cold showers, sleeping in the bamboo room, eating rice with every meal, and trying my best to speak Tagalog, my classmates uh, started to drop their guard and treat me as their own. And because of this, 
I consider the experience of this trip to the Philippines to be a life-changing, humbling, and a point when God kindled my heart for missionary work. In most cases, there is a benefit to putting on something new and embracing change. But on the other hand, negative consequences come with remaining the same and being unwilling to change. A quote suggests that when in Rome, do as the Romans do. However, if you claim to be a Christian, do as the Christians do. We should live as prescribed in Scripture by God through the Holy Spirit. And in a like manner, the Apostle Paul is warning the church of Colossae that they have a responsibility. And as God's children, they are not to be passive and live life however they want to live. Also, they have been forewarned not to be deceived by false notions, but instead, Paul is reminding them that their God and Father is admonishing them to put off their worldliness, their carnality and sinfulness, and to put on a God-honoring lifestyle and live the way God would intend them to live. And as Pastor Dennis preached last week in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16-23, through 23, true spiritual growth is found in your union with Christ, not unity with works. So what does that imply? Are we to live like the Israelites in the book of Judges? Where everyone did what was right in their own eyes? No. There is a specific way that God wants His children to live. If mysticism and asceticism and religion are not the answer, then what is? Once again, Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. Not only is He enough, but more importantly, He is our life. And those that believe have been united with Him. It is no longer we that live, but Christ lives in us. And instead of focusing on uh, diet and days, what you put into your body or what appears to be spiritual on the outside, Paul is urging the church of Colossae to focus on eradicating what comes out of the heart. The things that defile man. And this leads me to the following propositional statement which reads, we must put sin to death and live in a manner that is consistent with our identity in Christ. Let me repeat that one more time. We must put sin to death and live in a manner that is consistent with our identity in Christ. In the book of Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 1-11, through 11, Paul is warning the church of Colossae to put sin to death. And in other words, put off the old self and the old sinful habits, put on the new self, and live as God intended His children to live. And first and foremost, Paul has listed and emphasized our Christian responsibility in uh, verses 1-4 through in the following three ways. That we must seek Christ, that we must set our minds on Christ, and that we must see that we will resurrect like Christ. Beginning at verse 1, it reads, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Why does Paul start with the conjunction if? 
It is because there are implications. And what is he alluding to? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. There it reads, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have been baptized, you already died and you were buried with your sins. But God made you alive and forgave you, canceled the debt of your sins, and nailed it to the cross at Calvary. Spiritually, just like Christ died, you were also buried and He resurrected you. He brought you to life. You have been raised with Christ. And I have a few questions here. Why are you living like you are dead again? Why are you living in total depravity again? As an illustration, God already sovereignly pulled you out of the depth of the sea and resurrected you to life as a new creation in Him. Why are we living like we belong to the God of this world? Do we remember who we are and whose we are? And Paul is commanding the Colossians to seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And as a Christian... Maybe the problem is we are seeking inside of ourselves. We're seeking for what is tangible. Similar to the Israelites in the book of Exodus chapter 32. They created and they worshipped the golden calf. And when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments of the Lord. Seek is an imperative in this context. And it means to seek continually. This is not a one-time deal. But when one sins, we should seek the things above. When one is tempted, seek the things above again. Don't search or seek things on this earth. Seek what is above. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 reads, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Paul is stressing and warning not to be deceived by false teaching and claims to have unique and mystical insight for life, but to seek Christ above as He is seated at the right hand of God and Christ is making intercession for us and has heavenly authority. Refrain from wasting your time seeking elsewhere. Not only should we seek things that are above, but Paul writes, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul uses another imperative which commands uh, on things above, which is also to be done continuously and daily. When our minds tend to veer off, we must reset our minds on Christ. And we can glean from the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 4, verse 8-9. through It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Along the same lines, Paul wrote the epistle of Romans, stating the following in chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. We must set our minds on what is heavenly and eternal, not earthly and temporal. We should set our minds on things above and meditate on things directly related to our triune God. What are we meditating on? That's the question. Is it the news? Is it Hollywood? Is it our hobbies? Could it be sports? The stock market? Our finances? Our careers? Our endeavors? May our minds be transformed, renewed, and realigned to Christ and His priorities. Additionally, Paul is reminding the Colossian church, in case they forgot, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Paul uses the conjunction for which can also mean because you died. Because you were dead. Do you remember that you were dead before and Christ raised you? Remember that? Well, your life no longer belongs to you as Paul advises the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We were purchased by the blood that was shed at Golgotha. Our life is Christ. And to live is Christ. Because He resurrected, we shall too resurrect. We will appear with Him in glory. We will reign with Him and see Christ as He is, face to face, high and lifted up, and full of glory. And isn't that an amazing sight? Moreover, because you were dead in your sins, forgiven, raised with Christ, and because you don't belong to yourself, and by grace will reign with Him in glory, there are implications and a mandate. Christian believers are responsible for seeking Christ, setting their minds on Christ, and seeing that they will resurrect and have eternal life with Christ. But they must also mortify sexual sin. And that is in verses 5-7. through Because of what Christ has done and made possible for your new life in Him, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you, too, you once walked when you were living in them. And Paul encourages the Colossians to put past and present sins 
to death and to develop Christ-like virtue. It is possible. Church family, this is possible. This is God is, makes it possible for us to do because of what Christ has done. And there is hope to put sinful habits to death. God is not a man that He should lie. He didn't provide us with His Word and the Holy Spirit just to leave us helpless. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 reads, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And if you are walking by the Spirit, there will be evidence of the following fruit, starting with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It isn't easy, but it is possible through Christ and the Holy Spirit. One needs to read God's Word, meditate on Scripture, pray, and place themselves in the means of grace where God is. It takes spiritual discipline. As Pastor Dennis said, we need to work out at the spiritual gym. We need to show up and lift the spiritual weight. God will help us. As it is commanded in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, if your right eye or your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out or cut it off. It is better to cut off your members than for your whole body to go to hell. This isn't to be taken literally, but to show the weight and seriousness of sin and how God wants us to battle and combat it. Cut it off. Put it to death. And at the same time, Paul lifts, uh, lists five features with the Colossian church that all have to do with sexual purity. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And at the root of all of these sins is greed. One is greedy and they are not content. They receive and they want more. Their desires are insatiable. Therefore, they are willing to sin to be content. They aren't content in their relationship with God. They are not content in their life, their marriage, or family. Instead of worshiping God and being grateful for their spouse, they worship other gods. Men cheat on their wives. Men, uh, wives cheat on their husbands. God is not enough. And what God has given isn't enough. They look across the street and they notice the neighbors are remodeling their homes and almost triple the size. Some neighbors are never home because they're always on vacation in exotic locations. And you hear from a friend about their kids and how they're all pursuing PhDs at Ivy League universities and oh, they're so much more intelligent than your kids. The grass is always greener. There is always something that you are lacking. You could always have more. You look at your life and, and you say to yourself, if only I had someone else's spouse, millions of dollars, power, and the respect that I deserve. 
I would be happy. I would be content. That is all a lie, friends. True contentment is only found in our relationship with Christ alone. Don't fall for the schemes and the lies of Satan. Remember, there is a lot to lose concerning sexual sin. The stakes are very high and you are playing with fire. It is not worth it to ruin your Christian testimony, your life, your marriage, and your family. And I encourage you to run like Joseph. How he ran away from Potiphar's wife. Leave your cloak behind. Leave your clothes behind. Who cares? Cling to Christ and be content with the husband or wife He has provided for you. And for the youth of this congregation, I encourage you to be content in your season of singleness. Seek God and grow in Christ-like character so you will be able to be a blessing to your future spouse and so you will have a family that stands through all of the trials that God would have you endure. And this is all for His glory. The sad reality is that one is willing to break the first commandment, the second, seventh, and tenth commandment. One is putting sexual sin before God. They are worshiping another image other than Christ as the image of the invisible God. They, tor- they turn to porneia in Greek, which means illicit sexual activity, whether it is fornication outside of marriage, adultery within marriage, or watching pornography, which is also a, a, adultery. Even lustfully looking at another human is sin. One has distorted and perverted how God wants His children to live. They are worshiping another image other than Christ, and this is an abomination. Do we understand that we serve a jealous God? He wants all of our worship. Church family, we need to follow what Paul wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 4, verse 11-13. through I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We must learn to be content with Christ and what He has provided. His grace is sufficient. Paul even suggests in 1 Timothy 6-8, through But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can't take anything out of this world. And if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. We need to exercise ourselves towards godliness using the means of grace, as I said earlier, going to the spiritual gym and be content if we merely have food on the table and clothing to put on our backs. That is considered to be blessed. Let us not desire what we cannot and should not have, but trust and be content with what God provides. Christ is enough. And on the topic of contentment, I'm reminding of a conversation I had at Hearthstone Summer Camp uh, with one of the families there uh, as we were eating that awesome food uh, that was at camp. Those ribs and the churros and wow. Whoever didn't go really missed out. (laughs) But we were 
talking about life and the question came up towards me. How can you balance everything in life? Living with your father, your mother-in-law, four kids, wife, two dogs, balancing uh, seminary and work. And after Pastor Todd Bolton's preaching about the Holy Spirit, I answered and I said, my wife and I can balance everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, like Paul, and by God's grace, we are learning to be content. I say learning because we have not arrived. We cannot be content or have strength at all by our flesh and by our human strength, but God, through the Holy Spirit, will provide contentment and strength. We just need to ask Him, trust Him, lean on Him, and God is faithful and to be praised. What fuels contentment, you might ask? And the answer is the Gospel. I think of the Anoni family and how Scott always points us to the Gospel and to praise our Sovereign Lord amid suffering and uncertainty. Scott said he thanks God for the brain tumor because it led him closer to Christ. I think of Roman Kurbatsky and his family and how the Gospel fuels and anchors them to be content amid a war zone with bombs setting off daily and not knowing if they will survive. Their situation leads them closer to Christ. Instead of murmuring and complaining like the Israelites in the wilderness, they thank God, they trust God, and they are content. They rest their head on the pillow of God's sovereignty and providence. It's not the Gospel plus something else that will make us content. And some ask, okay, okay, Chris, we know it's the Gospel, but seriously, what's the secret to contentment? Is there an eight-week program that I can sign up for? A pill that I can take? A book I can read? An influencer that I can follow? Or a religious practice I can adopt? No. The Gospel is all you need. It is sufficient. Your relationship with Christ is sufficient. And His grace is sufficient. All the advice we need can be found in God's living Word. There are consequences for sexual sin and idolatry as it says in verse 6, on the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And Paul reminds the Colossians that Christ will return suddenly and everyone will be judged accordingly and the, the believer and the unbeliever. If Christ isn't enough for you, Wrath is stored up for the unbeliever, but the chastisement of the Lord is waiting for the believer because God disciplines whom He loves. Brothers, sisters, and visitors, we must repent and turn to Christ. For the unbeliever, it says the following in the book of Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 8-9, through Now I will soon pour out My wrath upon you and spend My anger against you, and judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for your abominations. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. The whole world will know that He is the Lord. Every knee will bow, 
Every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord, whether you like it or not. This should show us how serious God is about sin, sexual immorality, and idolatry. We once walked in this way when we were dead, but if we have been raised and are alive in Christ, we need to put these sins to death and live in a manner that is pleasing to God. These sins shouldn't be known among Christians, and we shouldn't have skeletons of sin hidden in our closet. Paul is encouraging the Colossians to be genuine Christians by mortifying sexual sin, and similarly, he is compelling them to slay relational sin in verses 8 through 11. There it reads, But now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is informing the Colossians and reminding them that they have to put off sexual sins and sins against other people. We must remember that we are commanded to love God and to love people. Sexual sins are evil on a personal level against others, and more importantly, directly against a holy and righteous God. One has chosen to worship and idolize another God and has replaced God with another image. And on the other hand, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying are evil sins against other people. We are violating the two greatest commandments that sum up the Mosaic Law. These are egregious sins that need to be dealt with, acknowledged, and repented of immediately. By Greek understanding, anger is a deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. But Scripture commands us in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19 through 20 let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Wrath, by Greek definition, is the actual outburst of bottled up anger. On the other hand, by Greek definition, malice is a moral evil bent on harming others. And furthermore, all of these sins give birth to slander, which is blasphemy by Greek definition. In other words, to slander other people is to blaspheme God. We need to understand that people are created in the image of God. And they are to be treated with dignity and respect. And one shouldn't talk negatively uh, behind the backs of others. If it isn't to build up, don't say it. Additionally, obscene talk shouldn't come out of our mouths either. With the same mouth, we praise and we bless God. By Greek definition, it is translated as foul mouth abuse. Our speech shouldn't be filthy, silly, with vulgar humor, but we should give God thanks. That is what we should do with our mouths. Finally, we shouldn't lie to one another. Lying comes directly from the father of lies, Satan himself. Using a few Old Testament examples, Satan lied to Adam and Eve. Cain lied about, uh, to God about killing Abel. Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister. Isaac lied about Rebekah being his sister. 
And that's just a few examples in the Old Testament. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul wanted to reiterate the absolute need to slay relational sin. Holiness is still the goal that every Christian should strive for. To be holy, for our God is holy. We must meditate on, apply, and live out God's Word. Scripture assumes the following. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. Everything is in past tense. You have put off. You have put on. It doesn't say that you will. Instead, it says that this was made possible when you died to sin and were made alive in Christ. In your positional sanctification, the old has been buried with Christ. And the new self has been put on by the resurrection of Christ because He conquered hell, death, and the grave and made this a reality for those that believe in Him. However, progressively, and as an ongoing process, believers are being renewed after the image of its Creator. Do you wear a suit and tie when you go swimming? Do you wear a bathing suit to a funeral? No. There are specific clothes that you should wear that are appropriate for the occasion. Have you ever shown up to an event overdressed or underdressed? It can be pretty embarrassing. And I would say it is even more uncomfortable when you are underdressed. This is the point Paul is trying to portray that we should spiritually dress in line with our new identity in Christ. We must throw away our old filthy clothes and put on the symbolic white robe. We should put on the new lifestyle that we have in Christ. And one might ask, who does this include? Is it for a specific group of people? Only the Colossians of that time? I might get thrown in prison for this, but here it is. A-L-M. All lives matter. More specifically, all Christian lives matter and are included in Christ. Verse 11 reads, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And in the world, it is every man for himself. They say to to each his own. You do you. And follow your heart. This type of individualism divides. And people desire a home off the grid. Far away from civilization. And they congratulate themselves for all of their success. And on the other hand of the spectrum, One might say they didn't receive a good hand in life or get a good education because they grew up in a bad neighborhood and now they're homeless and destitute. Some even live and are willing to die in the representation of their ethnicity. In their sin, different races and ethnicities, however, promote segregation and separatism. The us against them mentality. So much so that a cultural Marxist organization jams BLM down your throat throughout all sources of media, even stamping BLM 
on the NBA basketball courts. You can't even enjoy a Warriors game without being distracted. The KKK marches around for white supremacy. And historically, Hitler wanted to kill all Jewish people and wanted only Germans to remain, rule, and conquer. In Christ, there is no such thing as a super race. The God of this world causes chaos, division, racism, segregation, isolation, and rightly so. Because this is all a result of sin. And Christ, however, is all and in all. Through Christ and in His Gospel, believers are united to Him and to one another as family, the household of God, the body of Christ. Now therefore, there are no distinctions for those that are in Him. It doesn't matter about Jewish circumcision or Greek uncircumcision. In the Old Testament, only the Jews were God's chosen. But after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Gentiles that believe in the Gospel, all non-Jews from every nation and tongue were adopted and grafted into the family of God. Not just an heir, but a co-heir with the risen Christ. In the New Testament context, the Greeks saw Scythians as not included, violent, uneducated, savage, and lower class. But in Christ, there is no room for discrimination prejudice, racism, or cultural elitism. All Christians, regardless of race, background, culture, and socioeconomic status, are bound together in equality, knit together by Christ's love and His blood covering every sin. Christians are commanded to count others more significant than themselves. Be humble, forgive, serve one another, and remember in chapter in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And as Paul encouraged the church of Colossae to slay relational sin, I would like to close this sermon by exposing and challenging all of you with the following. And I wanted to remind you all of my proposition. We must put sin to death and live in a manner that is consistent with our identity in Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed indeed you fail to meet the test. And just to cover all ages and those that are present, men, women, adults, young adults, youth, are you struggling with pornography? Or do you have the temptation to look at someone in a lustful way? Are you naturally angry behind closed doors? Does your family experience your wrath? Are you one that tends to spread gossip or seek to ruin one's reputation behind their backs? Do you put your ethnicity and culture above Christ and His church? Putting sin to death 
can only be done by seeking Christ, by setting our minds on Christ, and seeing that Christ is enough, that we are united to Him, and that He is our life. Our lives, our character, and our integrity ought to line up. We ought to love God and love people. Not just in public circles where everyone can see us, but in private where only God can. May God have mercy and grace upon us. May He forgive us as, God, as godly sorrow leads us to change and turn away from habitual and even besetting sins for His glory. And without further ado, let us pray. Father, we love You. We honor You. And we're just uh, grateful, Lord, to be able to uh, go through the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 1-11, through 11, understanding that there is a certain way that we should be living as Christians. If we claim to be a Christian, there are certain sins that we need to put off. And there is our identity in You that we need to put on. Of course, we will never be sin-free. We will always sin. We are, by nature, sinners. But, there is a specific character and there is a specific lifestyle that we need to live that sets us apart from the way that the world lives. We cannot be living exactly like the world. And so I pray, Lord, that You would help us to shape and fashion us to put off these habitual sins that we might be dealing with in secret. Help us to examine ourselves, question ourselves. Am I, am I treating... Are we treating You with utmost gratitude? Are we worshiping You in line with how Scripture prescribes? Are we treating our neighbor, are we treating our, those that are in Christ the way that we should? Even those that are in the world, how are we being an example of Christ? Is it consistent with Your Word? And Father, we just pray that You would help us to live in light of the Gospel. For those that have never heard the Gospel, that You would graciously draw them to Yourself. That they would be convicted of their sin. That they would repent. They would turn to You, Lord. And that You would transform their lives. And that You would lead believers, Lord, to repent and to be refreshed in the Gospel and to live for You. And Father, we're just grateful and that You would just lead us and help us and that we would live for Your honor and glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.